Shalom, Chavarim. Hey, you beat me to the punch. I was going to say that. Well, hey, welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. We are here to help Christians make sense of their roots so that they can help Jews make sense of Jesus. There you go. We got this down. It's taken us a whole season, but we know what we're doing. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my dad, Ron. I already said shalom, shalom. All right. We're back again. That's right. Uh, and we are here to talk about Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that is. Um, we're all done with Hanukkah, um, which is what I, I said on one of our last podcasts, uh, is the Jewish Christmas. Uh, but now we're on the Christmas Christmas. And uh, we, we have to talk about this relationship between the Jewish people and Christmas itself. Do the Jews celebrate Christmas? Do we have trees? Do we put up the lights? What was this like for you growing up as a Jew in your family, like all, all of this stuff that is associated with it. What, like, let's just do word association. I throw out the word Christmas and you think. No. <laughs> Lots it's, of things I thought you could have said, but that's not the one I thought you were going to say. It's not for us. It's not for us. Yeah. And that's, you grew up with that. I grew up with it not being for us. I was told early on, he is not for us. So we didn't have a tree, we didn't have lights, and to tell you the truth, we didn't miss it. Right. There's been a change, though, from your generation to my generation. You you were ingrained with that, like, he's it, this is not for us, Santa Claus is not for us, like, none of that, and you didn't feel like you were missing out. And I remember watching, like, the kids next door, Mark Bostic, and he got Nintendo, and he got the Mike Tyson punch out. And I was very jealous, and, like, it, it, it was, those were the days, it was, it's like when, when you're on a diet and everybody else is eating the cookies, you know, you got to, like, it was hard to be Jewish on Christmas. Yeah, well, I remember uh, when we moved to California, of course, there wasn't a problem in New York. Our, right. Our neighborhood was predominantly Jewish. But in California, all my friends got 10-speed bikes. You you grew up with this. And, and there is like a little bit of a, a story or even a stereotype that, well, what do Jews do on Christmas? And, you know, for the most part. Well, <laughs> we we have our, our own holiday. We've created our own con- uh, kind of Christmas. And uh, for us Jewish people, uh, Christmas was uh, a time when we went to the movies and ate Chinese food. And, and that's and that is that is the <laughs> assumption that most people think is well that's what we do and it's true. Um, I, do you remember you remember the year where we thought let's go to Disneyland on Christmas, right? It was a terrible choice. It was a really really bad choice. We were living in Southern California. and We thought this is the strategy going into it. All of the other kids in the world they're going to be at home opening their presents. It'll be us and the Finkelsteins down the street, right? And we'll yeah. be the only ones. We'll ri- walk onto any ride we possibly want, and we'll enjoy Disneyland yeah, for the day. Yeah. Didn't work out that way. It was never more crowded. Yeah. Yeah. Never more crowded than that day. Yeah. We should have just stuck with the movies and Chinese food. Yeah, I think we did the next year. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but this is actually a thing. And how come... Uh, movies, we, we go to the movies because they're open, but Chinese food, there's actually like a story behind the story with this. What What is that? Well, you know, if you look at it historically, you know, the, this is kind of rooted uh, like so many Jewish stories uh, in uh, the immigration of the Jews and the Chinese uh, who came through the beginning of the last century uh, and went through and settled for a large part on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. 
neither one of them were Christians. <laughs> and so didn't, didn't have this commonality of, uh, of Christianity in our religion or in our culture. And so the Jewish immigrants came from Eastern Europe and the Chinese immigrants, they were, we were two non-Christian immigrant groups who were living side by side in neighborhoods in Manhattan that were not too far apart from each other. And uh, while it's true that Chinese restaurants were probably open during these times, we, you know, we went in there and, and we ate because uh, it was just a place uh, to go because we were not yet assimilated really into the American culture. That became our tradition, you know, we Jews have a lot of traditions, and so it's followed through even today, uh, although probably a lot of our Jewish people don't really know where the roots of uh, that tradition came from. But that, that was it. It was two, two groups of people, non-Christian peoples, the Jews and the Chinese, and uh, we love Chinese food anyway. I mean, there's nothing bad with a little Kung Pao chicken or Mongolian beef <clears throat> yeah. when, you, when you get uh, to the Christmas Day. So, but uh, it, I, do you remember, you have a, you used to tell a joke. I don't know if, I don't even know if it's appropriate, but you had a joke that, oh. that talked about, there was a very famous... Oh, a Abraham Goldberg's Chinese restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Okay. Um, we didn't have a joke planned anyway, so <laughs> throw this one out. There was a time after the turn of the century when uh, everybody was immigrating to the United States through Ellis Island, and at this point they were they were going through their their check-in. They had to give an officer there at the desk their name and background and so on and so forth. And so there was a line of people, and as they came up to the officer to give their name. Uh, this gentleman gave his name. It was Abraham Goldberg. And then the one right behind him came up, the Chinese fellow, and the officer asked him, what is your name? And uh, he said, Sam Ting. Oh, boy. You mean <laughs> Sam Ting. Sam, but he said Sam Ting, and he thought it was the same thing. So he was named Abraham Goldberg, and he opened up Goldberg's Chinese food. That was great. Thank you. I'm, you're welcome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if your name is Sam Ting, we apologize. We do love the Chinese people. All right. Well, let's let's get into this a little bit. And I want to talk about Christmas in a couple of different ways. Let's talk about Christmas culturally from how we do Christmas here in America. As we look at Christmas today, we have almost two camps. One is this cultural Christmas where we have Santa Claus and the reindeer. We have the Christmas trees and Frosty the Snowman. And that is kind of our American cultural Christmas. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have the Christian Christmas. And you get you have signs that go out, right? Christmas is all about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. And there still are Christmas trees, but we're, we're singing O Holy Night, and it's all about Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger, and eventually the shepherds and the wise men and all of that. You look at these two pictures of what Christmas is, and the Jews look at all of this, and what do they say? Not for me. Not for me. It's, uh, it's not part of our culture. It's not a part of our religion. And interestingly, uh, within the American Christian community, uh, 
as you said, you have the two camps. And one is a camp of those who truly believe and they're trying to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. And the other is the camp that may have some knowledge about this, but it's really just a, you know, a family celebration. The Jewish people, they're looking at this and they're thinking, well, where, where do we fit? Um, they don't really, neither one of these fit, so we're just going to watch a movie. We make up a third camp. And what is that third camp? That third camp is the camp of, this is not for us. Um, it's totally fine that the Christians, uh, and we don't even make a distinction between Gentiles who were true believers and Gentiles who were not true believers. Uh, they were all Christians as far as we were concerned. In fact, almost everybody who wasn't a Jew was a Christian. Now the Jewish people, they're looking at, you know, essentially Christmas is, is the celebration of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And, and while, while Christians can sometimes even miss the importance of this holiday, we can get wrapped up in all of the trappings. Um, when the Jewish people look at the Christian celebration of, of Christmas, they are missing, the, the Jewishness has been stripped out of it. And so it looks like something that's not familiar to them whatsoever. Yeah, there have, there have been, I think, a lot of uh, traditions incorporated into the celebration of Christmas by Gentile Christians that uh, are unfamiliar to us as Jews. I mean, we we understand what uh, what they're doing on a cultural level, but don't agree so, so much on a religious level. But they have their traditions, and that's fine. They can have their traditions. We have our traditions also, you know, and uh, we we know what it's like to have tradition. Well, and the 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 whole basis that the Messiah has already come is is something that is is not even part of Judaism because Jewish people today are still waiting for the Messiah waiting, to come. Yeah, we're waiting. Well, not all of us, but right. some of us are waiting for the Messiah to come. I shouldn't say us, because you and I already believe that he came, but our Orthodox uh, Jewish brethren uh, are waiting for the Messiah to come. Right, so they, they would look at Jesus, and they would say, essentially, Jesus was a man, a real-life human being, uh, a rabbi, even a great teacher, but they would not go so far as to say that he was Emmanuel, that he was God with us. Right. Um, you know, and interestingly, the Jewish, the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, clearly teach us who the Jewish Messiah would be. And, uh, you know, we look at that and we, you know, we think to ourselves, it would have been nice if God just gave us one verse that said everything and would tell us this is the Messiah, and that would end all of our troubles, but he doesn't do that. He weaves this whole plan of redemption so that we can identify who the Messiah would be when he would come through the entirety of Scripture. And it's like a big puzzle. And we might say to ourselves, why, why do you have to make a puzzle out of it? You know, make it clear already. Right. But he did make it clear. You know, there are those who are really seeking after God, and for those people, he will open their eyes. Yeah, you, you almost have to, there, there's some investigation, and there's some work that has to be done in all of this. And so we we get uh, these questions around this time every year. In fact, um, what we did was we, we responded to this. Uh, we had a friend of ours who said, hey, I, I have some... Uh, I have some Jewish friends. We have a tennis court in our backyard, and uh, we have some Jewish friends that come over for pickleball. 
And uh, we wanted to give them something that talked about Christmas from a Jewish perspective. And we could piecemeal, well, there's a chapter here or a little segment here, but really wasn't anything that kind of brought it all together. And so we endeavored to put together a little miniature book, a little ebook, and we wanted to an- answer and ask, um, well, answer these five questions. Um, we, we called this five questions that every Jew should be asking about Christmas. And what we wanted to do over the next couple of uh, podcasts is very briefly, very quickly um, walk through um, some of these questions. And here are the questions. Uh, number one, where will the Messiah be born? Number two, when will the Messiah be born? Number three, what is unique about the Messiah's birth? Number four, who is this child born of a virgin? And number five, what do I do with all this information? Well, maybe it's time for us to reconsider who Jesus is, but looking at him through Jewish eyes. Yeah, and so that's what we want to do. We want to take the next couple of podcasts, walk through this, and to be able to help give an answer. And uh, as a bonus here, uh, if you want to go and actually download this ebook, it's all free right now. Uh, you can go to thejewishroad.com slash Christmas, and we'll have that up there. But for now, let's head in to question number one. Where will the Messiah be? Where will the Messiah be born? Well, I I would say that there are hundreds of prophecies in the scriptures that speak to the coming of the Messiah so that those who were looking for the Messiah and waiting for him would be able to know how to recognize him when he came. And one of the things about that is that our Jewish people believe that the Messiah is going to be a man. So that's probably a good place to start. Uh, is he just a man or is he more than a man? Yeah. And, and then not only is he a man, but so if you're on the lookout, we know that the Messiah is coming. And again, hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, what we call Act 1, that are saying there's, there's somebody who's going to come. And Moses pointed to him, right? There's, there's, there's somebody who will come, and when he comes, he will bring salvation. And you always say there is a connection between Jewish history and salvation history salvation history and so we have that bridge right here in this man and and it would be interesting to point out also when when we talk about that continuity between jewish history and salvation history i think between the what has become the two religions of judaism and christianity there has been a divide right there where we don't see anymore the continuity between Jewish history and salvation history or the coming of Messiah. Right, it's two histories, essentially. Yeah, so they've become really two separate religions, but the bridge, the continuity between what the Hebrew Scriptures tells us to look for and the Messiah, when he came, fulfills, there is a bridge between those two, so there's a continuity there, and we need to put that continuity back into place. We need, to, we need to build that bridge back again as to 
the Jewish history and the Messiah who was prophesied to come. Yeah, I feel like you, you almost have like the two cliffs, right? And and people like you and I who are Messianic Jews, we are believers in Jesus, but we are culturally, ethnically, we're Jewish, that we're, we're between those two gaps. We're in that chasm and we have an arm stretched out to the Jewish people. We have an arm stretched out to the Christian community and we're trying to pull them together. But there's so many forces pulling us apart that we're getting like stretched out further and further. And even yeah. as I say that, I mean, there are Jews today that are coming to faith. In, in amazing and miraculous ways. Yeah, and a lot of Jewish people, young people in Israel are even coming to faith. And so uh, more than I could have even imagined in 1975 when I became a believer. So there, there is a sense in which Jewish people are recognizing who their Messiah is, that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Jewish Messiah. They've, they've come to a settled conclusion on those things, but we still need to bridge that gap because so many, let me just say it outright, churches out there, um, majority, are replacement theology. And so God is finished with Israel, and that creates that huge gap that we're trying to bridge. Yeah. Now, we, we asked the question, then we didn't do anything to answer it. So let's go back. Where will the Messiah be born? Now, you mentioned Bethlehem, and you don't even have to mention his name. Nope. Right, Bethlehem is this little town. It's still, I mean, it's not, it's not as little, but um, today it's part of uh, the Palestinians there. Or it's part of the Palestinian territories there. Uh, we've been there several times, multiple times, mm-hmm. and you go there. You can go to the Church of the Nativity in downtown Bethlehem, and uh, it's the place that was believed to be uh, the spot. And you go there and you, feel, you, you say to yourself, this, this feels nothing like uh, what I thought it would be um, because it's, it's this big church right now. There's, been, there's scaffolding there for years because they've been restoring the inside. And you have multiple denominations that are in there. And you get to stand in line for a long time. And you look in this little spot and say, oh, that's it. What we like to do is we like to go out into the shepherd's fields. Um, in fact, it reminds me, uh, you know, once uh, we, we built a, a chicken coop and we called it Bethlehem. Hen, uh, but um, that side sidetrack there for a second. Uh, but we 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 go out into the fields and uh, we tell this story. But this is the place that Yeshua, that's his name in Hebrew, Jesus. This is the place that Jesus was born. Now, what's speaking the... of Bethlehem, yes, yeah, yeah. Now the backdrop here. What what is happening in Bethlehem? Um, Israel proper at the time, what, what's, what's the landscape? Well, there, there's a great history that is taking place. You know, it, it reminds me of the scripture that says in the fullness of time, the Messiah would, would come, he would be born of a woman. And it was in this particular time that he came. And when he came, uh, there, there was uh, a fellow who was in charge uh, we should take note, uh, this was uh, Herod, uh, who was appointed king by Rome, and we should take note that he, he was a great builder. I mean, he was. You can, uh, you can look, you know, throughout Judea, and you can see the Herodian palace and Masada, the Herodian fortress, and his massive work that he uh, did on the second temple expansion and uh, Caesarea and Maritima, Caesarea, Caesarea by, by the, the sea. sea. 
Yeah. And so you go to Israel today and you can see all these things that uh, Herod did. But Herod, Herod was also a little nuts. Not a little nuts. He was very nuts. He was tyrannical. He was a megalomaniac. He was very paranoid also. He was an Edomian, although he considers himself a Jew. But he was afraid that everybody else wanted to take over his kingdom and get rid of him. And as a result uh, of just that, his paranoia, uh, he ended up killing his sons he killed his wife. In fact, it was said that uh, it was a lot safer to be his pig than to be one of his relatives. All right, so you can imagine that he's looking around his family and he's thinking that person wants the throne, that person wants the throne, and all of a sudden there's a rumor, and this rumor goes around that there was a child who was born in this place called Beit Lechem, or Bethlehem, and there was a lot of messianic expectation uh, that this little child was destined to be the king of Israel. If you are an insecure megalomaniac who would kill anybody in the family, what do you do when you have this child that's born right there in your backyard? Well, you better get some information. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is exactly what Herod did. Uh, and he called in uh, the scribes and the people of the religious leaders who would know and uh, asked, where is this king to be born? He said, I would like to go and worship him also. You know, we know that Herod wasn't really telling the truth. He was lying. Uh, he didn't want to worship the king. He wanted to kill the king. The religious leaders, they knew where the scripture said he was going to be born, and that is Bethlehem. Yeah, and that's in Micah 5.2. Uh, and this is very familiar to many people, but it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Uh, and, you know, we, we should stop and uh, take note because there has been some criticism of the actual birthplace. Uh, there is a Bethlehem up in Galilee, but that's not the one that we're talking about here in the Scripture. Israel was divided between north and south, and Micah is referring, interestingly, he puts it in there, Bethlehem Ephrathah in the south, just a few miles away from Jerusalem. And so, you know, it is so fitting that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Um, you know, as, as you said, what, what makes up that word Bethlehem? It's, it's uh, Hebrew is Beit and Lechem. Beit means house, and Lechem is bread. And so we, we talk about this, and we'll hit it more when we do Passover next season, but um, that, that Jesus, who in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life, he was born in a place that was called the house of bread. Now, yeah. it's interesting. It's just Bethlehem is, is seven miles from basically downtown Jerusalem. When we go there on tours, we get on the bus and we cross over the border. If you go there, um, go to Johnny's Souvenir Shop. Hey, Johnny, love you. We miss you. We're going to come back one day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so you got Johnny's. And then there's a really great uh, falafel place right down the street from him as well. Uh, but what we also do is when we go to the Bethlehem region, we go to one of the places that Herod built, and it was his place. It was called Herodium. And this was the palace that that Herod spent probably a good 80% of all of his time. He lived there most of the time. And you go there, and you, you stand in the top of that palace, and you can overlook these fields. Mm -hmm. And so just picture this scene. And when we do this, we talk about it. Um, we read this story. 
that, that Herod is there. He's looking from his palace and he looks out over Bethlehem and he thinks somewhere over there, a child was just born. And that child is coming for my throne. We got to do something about it. And interestingly, being so close to Jerusalem as it was, uh, isn't there a place, uh, the Tower of Migdal, where the shepherds would keep watch over the sheep in this particular area? Yeah, well, the, these sheep were, were specifically um, raised for the temple worship. So these were very special sheep, and there were practices associated with that. How do we care for the sheep? How do we how do we ensure that they are going to be the best? They had to be perfect lambs, right? Um, they... Without spot, without blemish. And when they were born, the shepherds up in this tower could watch and oversee these lambs who were born. And interestingly, when they were born, they were wrapped in these little strips of cloth, you might call swaddling strips. And the lambs would be carefully wrapped and observed, make sure that they are uh, without spot and without blemish. So it was interesting uh, when Yeshua, the Messiah, was born, shepherds found him in a manger, really a feeding trough, right? Yeah. And uh, he's wrapped in these same swaddling strips. I mean, you would, you would wonder, you would ask yourself, well, how, is, how would they find him? But when they saw him wrapped like that, they knew exactly who he was. Yeah, and so it's almost this picture of you have you have these the two types of shepherds, right? You have the good shepherds that care for the sheep, and then you have this shepherd who's been appointed over by by Rome over all of Israel, seeking to destroy this one sheep. And so, really, Herod goes in there and slaughters any baby there that's that's two years or less, Younger, yeah. right? Take them out, knock them out. We want to make sure that there's no promise. Messiah, no, no future king. It's gonna be me. And and upon hearing that news, that's when Joseph and Mary, they fled. They got out of there, right? And they went, went to, to Egypt. Egypt, right? Which fulfilled another prophecy concerning the Messiah, saying that my son will come out of Egypt. But we should bring up something else that that is really unique about the character of this one who was going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, we referenced Micah 5.2, but we didn't finish the verse. This same prophecy of Micah 5.2 also said that his origin would be from long ago, from the days of eternity, from the days of eternity. That is an important statement because the only one who existed from eternity past is God himself. That's right. And we'll, we'll talk more about that when we discuss the uniqueness of the birth mm -hmm. of Messiah. So they go really from, you know, Joseph and Mary are not from Bethlehem. They actually make their way down from the place where they really lived was Nazareth. Nazareth. Um, so they, they go down to Bethlehem. Why? Because there's a census that's being taken. Uh, and they figured, hey, the census is being taken. Um, they'll do that probably during a pilgrimage feast, right? All of the people, three times a year, we've talked about this, three times a year, the Jewish people have to make the pilgrimage. They ascend to the mountain, to the holy hill of Zion, uh, to the Lord. And during this time, uh, if there's going to be a census, let's make sure that we do it when everybody's there. Uh, this would, and we, uh, we're not going to get into this, is December 25th the date or not? Um, it's not. But um, 
a lot of people, we, we believe that if, if it were to take place, it's probably going to take place during the Feast of Tabernacles, um, which is a little bit earlier. It's uh, mm-hmm. generally in October. Um, but that was during that time. But there was a Roman census that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. and we it's, get... it's interesting how the politics of the day just intervenes in the lives of Joseph and Mary, and God is really the one who is handling all of this and directing it. In, in Luke chapter 2, and you've heard this story um, told, but this is what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed, essentially. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, all went out and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David. Hmm. Why? Because Joseph, he's a descendant of David. He's a descendant of David, yeah. Which also fulfills another thing. Yeah. That that the, the Messiah, Messiah yeah, had to be a descendant from the line of David, from Judah. Yeah, so he's, they went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Isn't that just such a coincidence? Yeah. All of these things <laughs> yeah. come together. Yeah. If that, that Roman decree didn't go forth, Joseph and Mary didn't go to Bethlehem, that baby would have been born in... Nazareth, Nazareth, and that would have completely eliminated him from consideration as the promised Messiah of Israel. Just like our five questions in the ebook is barely scratching the surface, um, what we just talked about in the last 15 minutes barely scratched the surface on Bethlehem. Um, but we're hoping that this is painting a picture. Um, we want to restore the Jewishness of this story. We want to celebrate this in such a way where we're getting ourselves back to the roots of, of biblical, solid biblical understanding and instruction. Any other so what's for you? Any just applications? What do we do with this? Where do we take this from here? I, th- I think we should uh, look, now that we have looked at where the Messiah is going to be born, we should a- answer the question, when will the Messiah be born? Yeah, that'll be the next episode. You can find out more about this and all of the other stuff. You can go to the website, thejewishroad.com. Uh, if you go thejewishroad.com slash Christmas, uh, you'll be able to find our ebook on all of this where we explain this in greater detail. You can also follow us at The Jewish Road on Instagram. On our website, you can read blogs. You can see upcoming speaking events. Uh, on the other side of the year, we'll be starting to talk about Passover and coming out to different churches and congregations to share about the Passover story. You can also donate. Um, and uh, read lots of stuff. And if you want to send us an email, you can do that at shalom at thejewishroad.com. And if you want to call my dad, his personal cell phone number is... <laughs> no? No, you don't want to do that. It's 714-321. <laughs> and that's all we're going to say about it. Hey, well, thanks for listening. It's been good. Uh, until then, Sha'alu shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They will prosper that love thee. Shalom, everybody. Shalom.